something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Before we jump in, we must warn you this episode contains explicit content, such as sexual abuse, that may be disturbing to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Also, if this is the first time you're listening to Sacred Scandal, everything will make a lot more sense if you start with episode one. In the fall of 1997, La Luz del Mundo, or LLDM for short, was going through a rough time. The servant of God, the Apostle Samuel, had just been publicly accused by multiple members of having abused them when they were minors. That was hard to hear for Regino León, a true believer and the head guard of the founder's sacred mausoleum. Shortly after the news came out about the abuse, Regino was standing by the high altar at the Grand Temple in Hermosa Provincia, in Guadalajara. Right behind him were his wife, Rebecca, and his daughter, Luz Maria, wearing dresses and lace veils over their heads. With the congregation as witness, Regino cursed the accusers. He was particularly hard on one of them, a young woman who claimed her own sister had delivered her to the apostle when she was a teenager. Regino swore the woman was a liar. Luz Maria joined him in his denunciations, and the whole family cried and moaned as they asked the apostle and the flock to reject the sinner's claims. She must be crazy, they said, and surely possessed by the devil. Regino León ended the speech swearing that his hand would not waver if he had to put a bullet in her head. The congregation exploded, chanting, Glory be to God, glory to the apostle. That woman's name was Karim León, Regino's very own daughter. In this episode, we're going to dive into the life of Karem León to better understand what LLDM has in store for those that dare to push against the church's airtight defenses. Because for many, 
the stalking, harassment, public ridicule, and even financial hardships that come with leaving LLDM are only the beginning of a living nightmare. I'm Roberta Garza, and you're listening to Sacred Scandal, Season 2. This is Episode 9, The Life and Death of Karem Leon. Karem Leon was a beautiful, shy girl with olive-green eyes and modest demeanor, born into a promising and devout LLDM family. Judith Hernandez, an ex-LLDM member who grew up in Hermosa Provincia, right next to Karem's childhood home, describes her as a beautiful Linda Carter lookalike. You know, the original Wonder Woman. Se me figuraba como, como esta actriz que en los 70s personificaba la Mujer Maravilla, Linda. Sadly. There was very little wonder in Karem's life, nor did she have any superpowers. Era muy seria, eh? Eh, su papá muy, muy estricto. Judith and Karem's brother were schoolmates, which gave her a closer glimpse at the strict and sometimes violent dynamic Regino León imposed on his family. There's little doubt this upbringing had to do with Karem's serious demeanor. Her father's overprotective nature was a perfect fit for his security job at LLDM. He was tasked with guarding Garon's tomb at the Garden of Getsemane, in the very heart of Hermosa Provincia. His allegiance to the Apostle was absolute and unwavering, as it often is in the case of zealots. He carried his gun proudly, and his violent temper was a secret to no one. Era un hombre muy seco. Nunca me cayó. Y su mamá Rebeca, la clásica miembra, ¿no? Calladita, te ves más bonita. Judith describes Regino as a dry man, and Rebeca, the matriarch of the Leon family, as the embodiment of that chauvinist phrase Latin women are well acquainted with, one that can be translated as, you look prettier when you're quiet. In honor of their last name, the front of the Leon family house was adorned with two big, proud stucco lions that kept watch over the home. Unfortunately for Karim, the lions were hardly the only beasts in the house. One day, in the early morning, Judith recalls seeing Rebecca run out of her home, screaming, it seemed she was fleeing a violent altercation. Una madrugada, Rebeca salió gritando de su casa. O sea, fue una cosa bien fea. To cover Regino's back and his honorable reputation, the church told everyone that the devil was lurking around the family's home and that it was him that had attacked sister Rebeca. Yo lo que me imagino es, para que no se corra chismes de que el hermano ha de haber golpeado a la hermana, después dijeron que era porque el diablo Ya andaba rondando la casa de los León Mares. A made-up story that might seem ridiculous and hard to believe, but not in a church that feeds its members a daily dose of miracles and demons, and also one that notoriously blames their internal troubles on outside villains. And there's no bigger villain than Satan. What those worried neighbors didn't know, and what nobody in Hermosa Provincia really wanted to know, was that the dark force making the rounds around their families was not a figment of their imagination. This devil had human form, and he was called Samuel Joaquin Flores. In 1997, many years after Judith witnessed this altercation, Karem Leon shared her story of abuse in a deposition for the Mexican police, and shortly afterwards, in an interview with the Academic Review for the Study of Religion. In those transcripts, we've learned what her life was really like as a member of the Leon family and La Luz del Mundo. 
To help tell her story, we have recreated her words through a voice actor. When I told my mom and dad, they didn't believe me. And it was very hard for me. And my dad told me that he would rather see me dead than out of the church. <laughs> that was a shock and very difficult for me. It all started in September of 1985, when Karen was just a teenager. She remembers it was mid-September, on the Mexican Independence Feast Day, when it's a tradition for men and women to dress in revolutionary garb. Karen was dressed like a charra, the famous Amazon women of Jalisco, riding her horse with a voluminous skirt and colored ribbons in her tressed hair. At that time, there was a woman named Carmen Rodriguez, who was in charge of a group called the Young Ladies Group. Rodriguez told Karen to ride her horse right under Samuel's window and to throw a fresh carnation at him. So Karen did. And the apostle noticed. This person was in charge of grooming us. At first, it was simply, Hey, come. You are going to serve at the table of the men of God. Shy, soft-spoken Karen could not be prouder. Her sister Luz Maria was called to the apostle's side often, and now she, too, had been chosen. At first, it was just regular unpaid chores, serving the family meals, taking care of their pets, or doing housework. But Karen's menial duties soon became more demanding. After a while, Carmen told me, Come, you're going to sleep in my room. She lived in what they called the ground house. They would call us to spend the night there, and they put us in a room, in that room late at night. I don't know the time, but in the dark and hidden, we were ushered from Casa Grande to Casa Jerico. Casa Jerico is a smaller house, kept strictly for the apostles' personal use, away from the reach of other family members and the regular staff. It connects to other buildings via underground tunnels. We've heard of those secret tunnels before, connecting between Casa Jericó, the Apostles' home, and to the Grand Temple and back. This is how he traveled unbothered and arrived unannounced whenever he pleased. And for the many victims of the Joaquin family, these tunnels are paved with living nightmares. We'll explore those dark corners after this break. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Karim's first nightmare took place when she was almost 18 years old on February the 14th, 1986, the Apostle's birthday. She was invited to a private party. Her job was to dance for Samuel in a lovely Hawaiian costume with flowers in her hair and a straw skirt. She felt so lucky, over the moon happy. Samuel was God's chosen one and she was one of the handful of girls selected to perform for him. Just moments before hitting the floor, Carmen Rodriguez took Karim aside to let her know the dance she was about to perform would be in the nude. We were given alcoholic beverages and we were dancing with our breasts uncovered while Idea Velar recorded with a video camera. He was caressing her breasts and kissing us on the mouth. Being intoxicated, I rejected him. I get very aggressive and direct when I drink. And for him, it was huge offense to be rebuked and treated as an equal, because he thinks of himself as king. Annoyed, Samuel sent Karem away for the night, which was the best thing that could have happened to her. But a couple of months after the Hawaiian party, Karem and her sister Luz Maria were called back to Samuel's side. As they entered his room, the apostle was on the bed, lying in his underwear flanked by two of his older handmaidens. Karen was surprised and a little scared, but noticed her sister didn't even flinch. So when she was ordered to undress and rub Samuel's feet, she went along with it. A few minutes later... As I was massaging Samuel's feet, he turned to my sister and said, Luz Maria, can I borrow your sister so I can feel like a puppy again? Karen's blood froze as her sister replied... Yes, brother. It was then when he ordered me to hug him, so I did. And with his hand, he pushed mine towards his penis so I would masturbate him. Until he ejaculated. 
I didn't move or fight him. I just went along to wherever he was moving my hand. And when he finished ejaculating, he slapped me on the cheek. I couldn't cry because I consider him to be the servant of God. And my role there was to serve him unconditionally. Her sister and the other handmaiden stood by watching, unfazed, as Samuel went on to tell Karem not to worry, that he often did the same to her older sister, Luz Maria. This was how he would release his many burdens and tensions. He sent the girls away, saying that God would reward them later. After that awful night, Samuel started calling on Karem more often. On one occasion, Karem recalls she and another young woman were awoken in the middle of the night and told to put on makeup and lipstick, but not too much, lest it appear vulgar or stain Samuel's body. Then, in the cover of darkness, they were led through the tunnels. They took us to Casa Jerico and into one of the upstairs bathrooms. We were ordered, as I recall, to satisfy him sexually. We were only wearing underwear when Mr. Samuel came in grabbed in a robe. He took it off, came into my bed and ordered me to kiss his body. So I did. He then held my head and told me to kiss it, referring to his penis, pushing my head against it so I would give him oral sex, while he violently kissed and fondled the other young woman. The apostle liked group sex, and he also liked to bite, scratch, pinch, and slap. He hurt us. He would mark our bodies. For me, it was very traumatic. I had to be in therapy for several years. Karen began to plead over and over with her mother and her family not to let her go to Samuel's house anymore, to tell the apostle and his groomers that she was indisposed. But instead of protecting their daughter or asking her if something was wrong, Karen's parents chastised her for bringing dishonor to them by refusing to serve God's chosen one. How could she turn down all those blessings? So she kept quiet, and she obeyed, unable to turn away from her abuser and tormentor. They tell you that he's God, and that as a man, he has needs. Like all men, right? They have needs. And that this is obviously a blessing for us. Not everyone understands how some people can put up with years or even a lifetime of abuse and stay quiet. Diane Ben Scotter is an expert on high-control groups and has spent most of her life helping people out of these environments. She is a former member of a religious cult and the current founder of an organization that takes a public health approach to psychological manipulation. When I think about a high-control group or what's commonly known as a cult, I like to think about the tactics that are used to take advantage of people on a psychological level. To me, that's what's most important in defining a high-control group. Are there techniques and tactics that are being used intentionally to take advantage of people on a psychological level to create assets out of the members? When you're born into it, it's integrated into your belief system from the beginning. And so in that respect, it's just part of your life. And to question it 
is to question your family, it's to question your community, it's to question everything that you've been taught is right and good. This is why Karen didn't speak out sooner. Her father's quick revolver hand, the constant fear in her mother's eyes, the love and well-being of her siblings, and the company of her lifelong friends were wielded against her as weapons, as the church often does against its critics and defectors. She tried to keep it all quietly hidden inside her, but her pain and suffering were starting to show on the outside. Moises Padilla also lived on the same block as Karen. He remembers seeing her transform from a joy-filled little girl who played ball with him on the street into a somber, wilting young woman. Y de repente, pues el carácter de ella cambió. Yo la veía que ya estaba en su adolescencia, pero no se asiaba. Moises noticed how, somewhere around 1986, Karen stopped being the put-together young lady he sometimes walked to school with. She wasn't bathing regularly and often looked unkempt. The transformation was particularly worrisome to Moises. A couple of years prior, he had seen very similar behaviors in his own sister, Marta, and they happened right before he learned that she too had been abused by Samuel. Que es como que se hacen pipí, como en el caso de mi hermana, que es ya en la adolescencia se hacía pipí en la cama, que no se quería bañar, eran síntomas que le estaban, que yo veía que le estaban pasando a Karen. Karen was desperate. Her whole life had been limited to LLDM. She had been born in Hermosa Provincia. Her family worked for the Apostle. She attended its schools and socialized only inside its confines. She couldn't risk telling her family why she didn't want to serve Samuel anymore, out of fear that they wouldn't believe her. Diane explains why it is not uncommon for family and loved ones, when under the influence of a high-control group, to side with the victim's tormentor. If somebody in the family come out as being abused sexually or something, then the family is threatened, and that person seems to be a traitor. They're like a problem person in the family, and it humiliates the family to have this person um, going against the teachings of God, what they believe so strongly to be the ultimate truth. And that reaction from her family is exactly what Karen feared. She was unable to rely on them for support, unable to get out of the cycle of sexual abuse she found herself in, without being branded as an apostate, a destitute whore deserving to be publicly attacked, shunned, and exiled. Karen could only think of one way out. And that was marriage. More after the break. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Karen had met Pepe, a boy from Hermosa Provincia, a few years earlier. She really liked him, but had been reluctant to make a more official courtship out of their friendship. So they kept things casual. A stolen smile once in a while, a forbidden conversation on the open plazas here and there. But she knew very well that marriage was Samuel Joaquin's way of getting rid of women that had become too old or too troublesome for his bed. He couldn't stand to be with used goods. So three years after that horrible Valentine's Day, and seeing no other way out of the seemingly never-ending cycle of abuse she was suffering from, Karen finally accepted Pepe's advances. And even though her family resisted her decision, and the apostle was extremely unhappy to give her away, she dug her heels in, hoping she would finally be free, and got married. Casa, tienen hijos, pero el trauma no lo supera. Moises remembers that, once married and with children, Karim still could not shake her traumatic past. Karim herself thought that maybe she was never going to get over the pain until she confronted it, starting with her family. They needed to face the truth. They needed to see what really went on behind the royal house's walls and to know that her sister, Luz Maria, was in on it. So she spoke. And we were dancing with our Come, you're going to sleep with me. He would mark our bodies. We were given alcoholic beverages. But Karim did not get the relief she desperately longed for. Instead, the Leon family called her a liar, telling her Satan was surely planting impure thoughts in her head and that she needed to repent and keep obeying the servant of God unconditionally. Or else. So Karim, 
once again bowed her head and stayed quiet. Yes, the apostle had stopped calling on her, and she had managed to keep her family and her community intact, visiting her parents and attending church as if nothing had happened. But her family's betrayal and abandonment broke her. She was destroyed by it. So she tried to kill herself. One day, I tried to commit suicide. Thanks God, I wasn't successful. A decade went by, and Karim tried as hard as she could to keep her life together. But no amount of alcohol and tranquilizers would chase the memories that haunted her every day. She suffered from seizures, mood swings, and sudden rages that taxed her and her family heavily. Ya no le importaba su esposo y se iba de, 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 de parranda a ser ella y esposo sufría. As Moises shares, she stopped caring about her husband and would go off drinking on her own without saying a word. Nevertheless, Pepe put up with that for years and still loved her unconditionally. She distanced herself from church and attended services less often. But despite her struggles and relapses, her silence guaranteed she remained very much a part of the community. One day, as she was sitting at a cafe with Pepe, she saw Fernando Flores walk by. He was LLDM's original historian, the first link between LLDM and the post-revolutionary local strongman. He left the church when he discovered that his own beloved wife had been an early victim of Samuel's abuses. Karen knew Flores had spoken against the church and felt like she could trust him with her own burden. They spoke for hours, and soon after, Karem joined Flores, Moises, and the others in bringing LLDM's secrets out in the open. On July 16, 1997, Karem was the first person to officially file a criminal complaint against LLDM. Like so many victims often do, she had to explain why it took her so long to denounce the abuses to the uncooperative authorities. Yes, I was very scared, simply from seeing how my family reacted when I told them. No one has spoken to me in seven years. They turn away from me whenever I run into them. <laughs> in her closing statement, Karem expressed that it was her wish for no one else to be a victim of the abuse she had lived with, because what drove the small group of LLDM victims to speak was the hope that others would be spared and justice would finally be served. But nothing happened. The deposition was kicked to the Attorney General's office and from there to the desk of Jalisco's Attorney General, where it has since laid dormant, as Sochil Martin explains. In 97, the ties that they had with the government, and they just completely silenced the victims. They silenced the entire case, and they kept moving on with all of the hierarchy to keep moving forward with political favors that would come to them. When Karim and her group realized their case was being stalled straight into oblivion, they went to the press. On the country's most important newspapers and on national TV channels, the brave accusers finally revealed to the world how Samuel had violated and crushed them. Karim hoped that publicly shedding light on what happened to her would grant her some peace. Instead, she got a fresh batch of hell on earth. 
the church's retribution, the one she had so fervently tried to avoid, came for her sharp and swift. Not only did Karim get no justice, her own father came out against her in front of the whole congregation. Her own sister denied ever witnessing any wrongdoing from the apostle and called Karim a liar. Everything she feared would happen came true. She was shunned, harassed, attacked, exiled, and abandoned by all those she had loved the most. As Diane explains, To be part of this chosen group, you give up your autonomy. That's the trade-off. When you leave, it's hard to reclaim that. You realize that, okay, I can't be part of this anymore, but I don't know who I am. The church made sure that when Karim found her voice, she lost everything else. As the years passed, her depression, panic attacks, and burst of anger became an impossible burden even to her husband and young children. Pepe loved her dearly, but decided to leave the house out of self-preservation, taking the kids with him in order to protect them. And though they visited and tended to Karim regularly, he knew they needed to keep their distance, because Karim's pain made it almost impossible to live with her, so she was left to face her terrors alone. We wish she could tell us what she felt when she learned Nasson was arrested, how she was finally vindicated in her bravery, but that's not possible. You're not hearing Karim's actual voice here for a reason. On September 7th, 2022, at 55 years old, Karim killed herself. She was found by her husband and daughter, who rushed to her home after a neighbor got alarmed when she stopped responding to her messages. For many years, her house stood on the outskirts of Hermosa Provincia, where every night she could see the glow of the Grand Temple's lights from afar. All her life, Karim had tried to run from these lights, only to end up dying right under their shadows. In the next episode, we will explore how Many years later, and through the bravery of five other young women, much like Karim, El Aldiem was finally brought to justice. But it would not be in Mexico. The reckoning would happen in a different country, the United States. And certainly they had quite a bit of evidence. Um, and by quite a bit, I, I can't begin to tell you how rare it is to have one one-thousandth of the evidence that these girls had. So I've been a judge for a long time. I'm in my 38th year. And I've never ceased to be amazed at what some people do in the name of religion. That's next on Sacred Scandal. Sacred Scandal, La Luz del Mundo, is a production of Exalt Content Studio in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network and is hosted by me, Roberta Garza. Produced by Sabine Jansen with the help of Stella Emmett, Reynolds Gutierrez, and Ana Isabel Octavio. Written by myself, with help from Maribel Quesada-Smith. Research by Roberta Garza. Additional reporting by Florencia González-Guerra-Garcia. Engineering by Hugo Mendoza and Sabine Jansen. Sound design by Gonzalo Messi. Original music by Patrick Hart. Edited by Ryder Alsop, Maribel Quesada-Smith, and Rose Reid. Executive producers are Rose Reid, Carmen Graterol, Isaac Lee, and Nando Villa. Daniel Bautista oversees audio at Exile Content Studio. Our executive producers at iHeart are Giselle Bances and Arlene Santana. 
Sacred Scandal was created by Melanie Bartley and Paula Barros. Special thanks to Valeria Senil, who played Karen, and to Sonic Union. For more podcasts, go to the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.